Welcome to You Wear It Well. Hi, I'm your host, Jeff Heiserman, physical therapist and founder and CEO of Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services. We're at the intersection of fashion and technology, otherwise known as wearables. We look at the people, products, and research that make up this exciting world of wearables. Are you a fashion designer, electrical engineer, or someone with the dream of designing a wearable? Apply for membership to my LinkedIn group page, Biotech Fashion, and join in the discussion. Are you a startup, wearable company? Don't know where quite to go from here? Well, you have the questions and Spectrum Ergonomics has the answers. Go to our company website at www.spectrumergonomics.com and click on the link wearables. There you'll find a wide variety of services and other contractors that we work with to help make your product become a reality. We're here to help you through the process of iteration to packaging and beyond. I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of You Wear It Well. And today, my very special guest is Antoine Noel, and he is the CEO and co-founder of Jepe. And I'm not going to do any more of an introduction because who better than Antoine himself. Antoine, welcome. The show is yours. Thank you very much, Jeff. Um, my name is Antoine Noel. I'm the CEO and founder of Chape Medical. Um, the reason why we created Chape Medical is uh, uh, one of our co-founders uh, had a mother who had a severe back issues and she had to stop working. So that's the reason one of my co-founders actually stopped our studies and shifted toward developing medical device uh, toward, uh, to solve back pain. And um, that, that's one of the reasons uh, why we started this company. And uh, she, we combine our story. We have an expertise in developing medical device and exoskeleton. I myself have been developing exoskeleton, especially for the military in France and uh, in the medical sector uh, at MIT. And that's how we created Japan Medical about five, six years ago. Uh, and Japan Medical is doing an exoskeleton against back pain. And um, what I found was very interesting, too, in looking at the website was the, um, the, the double component, the work component and the care component. So 
as, as you go through, explain that to our listeners too, that there's a dual component here to the exoskeleton, which I find very interesting. Yeah, so what is very interesting with exoskeleton is they support motion. So they support people who are doing any kind of activities. And in this, in this sense, uh, they are very much interesting into uh, helping people to regain movement and also helping people who are doing some movement all day long. So that's why exoskeleton can be used at the same time at work, but also at home to regain activity, to regain any kind of mo movement, motion after uh, any kind of health problem. So that's what we've been doing with our solution. Our solution help at the same time people at work. Uh, for example, let's think about um, in the naval industry, in the train industry, you have people who, who have to uh, do some kind of special manufacturing and uh, they are very skilled at their job, but they are carrying heavy weight. So they tend to get a lot of back issues, but you don't want to replace them because they are very valuable. Those guys, uh, with our technology, with exoskeleton, we, we are able to protect, prevent back pain, but also to help them stay at work if they are affected with back issues. That's the first thing that we did. But Jeff, you, you mentioned it. One of our goals since the beginning is to uh, spread the use of exoskeleton to everybody who needs it. So that's one of the reasons why we actually uh, uh, focused recently on developing an exoskeleton for everybody who is suffering from back issues at, at home. The goal is to help alleviate pain and re help them regain their activities. And that's excellent because back pain affects millions of people throughout the world. And when we say affects, we, we don't merely just mean they're in pain, but it affects them emotionally as well. Uh, it affects the relationships in their lives. Uh, it, it may just keep them from really living. A lot of people, and I, I've seen that in my career, patients that have chronic back pain just don't even want to go out and go shopping. They don't want to go to, to family get-togethers. They just they'd feel lousy. So that's what attracted me in taking a look at the fact that you, you have a care component because in just getting people feeling like I can move a bit and I'm not going to hurt any worse can make a huge difference between somebody living their life and somebody just living in a room. You know, it's a, it can make a huge difference. So tell us a little bit about some of the, the, the challenges that you faced initially when you're bringing together the exoskeleton world and the medical device world together into your, your planning stages. Let's talk about the planning stages of, this, of the exoskeleton. So bringing the two worlds together. Well, you're right. An exoskeleton, especially a medical exoskeleton, is composed of, I would say, three major expertise. The first expertise, we are speaking about an active exoskeleton. So this is robotics. But there are a lot of companies which does robotics. So this is not the most complex part. This is also a medical device. But again, people master it. One of the biggest issues with developing exoskeleton is you're basically wearing a robot. And if you feel like you're wearing a robot, you're never going to wear it. So it should be a product that integrates seamlessly without any trouble in your daily life, in your daily use. And this is the biggest challenge with developing an exoskeleton. Uh, it's how do you integrate it in the daily 
uh, activities of the user and uh, help them to accept accept it. And uh, the main reason, the main way that we used in uh, in doing so is uh, by integrating all the robotics and medical uh, components into a fabric and textile structure. So if you are hearing us today, when we speak about exoskeleton, you're probably thinking about a big rigid like structure like you've seen in Avatar or Alien. But what we are trying to do is hold the opposite. We are trying to bring exoskeleton as simple and as compact and as like, basic as possible for it to be not an exoskeleton but a partner in your daily life. That And that's a fantastic thing to look at because that's a big complaint in my career with patients is it's bulky. It's too big. I don't like it. It's ugly. You know, can I hide it under my clothes? You know, and what's their compliance going to be? Is a patient going to want to wear it? Is, are they going to get better because they're wearing it or they're going to just get home and, and throw, throw it on the couch and like, forget it. I'm not going to bother wearing it. And we know that they're not. We know we can see when they come back for their subsequent sessions that they're not improving. So what were some of the challenges you faced in trying to get it where it fits seamlessly? When we talk, you talked about textiles. So what were you taking a look at initially as far as how do you go from something that's hard, like a shell, into something soft that contours to the body better and feels more comfortable? So what kind of challenges did you see at that, at that point in the development? Uh, I'd say the biggest one uh, is the morphology of the patient. Uh, I, I think you've seen a lot of different morphology, but we are always surprised that you have people shaped in O, shaped in X, shaped in H. So a lot of various shape. And uh, usually the way people avoid it is by putting the rigid structure around it. And the, the way we dealt with it is by studying the human body a lot, how it is shaped, how it can, how it can be different depending on the country, depending on the type of person, woman, man, a bit different. So studying a lot of morphology was uh, very important. And then after that, it's just basically, uh, we, it took us five years of R&D, so a lot of trial and error. Uh, and um, a lot of putting it on patient, getting the feedback, updating the product. I think we did, we did something like more than 50 different prototypes uh, wow. before reaching, reaching the first one. And that's, uh, we, we had the chance to be, so we are based in France, north of France. Uh, and the north of France is very well known in Europe to be uh, one of the core places of the textile industry. Uh, so you have very good textile engineers. Uh, and we combine those expertise with robotics, and that's how we designed the product. That's good. I, I, it's nice to hear about touching base again with the the diversity of the talent that you need to put a wearable together. Uh, you can be an engineer, but you, what do you know about textiles? You can know a lot about textiles, but what do you know about circuits? You know, especially if you're talking about an active exoskeleton. So you know, you're looking at circuits. And so you need somebody with electrical engineering background. So before you know it, the team becomes huge. How big of a team did you eventually end up with when you put this out to for manufacturing? Or for I should say you put it into production so you could get it out to sell. So I would say the, the first team to develop the product was between 12 and uh, was around 12 people. Uh, mainly robotic engineers, meaning mechanical, electronic engineers, embedded system engineers textile engineers, production engineers, uh, also product designer, 
um, very important. So this is something that I didn't speak before, but uh, product design is also very important if you want to, uh, because this is something that you are using also uh, on yourself and usability and uh, usability of the solution is also very important. So, yeah, we, we were 12 people to develop the product, and today the company is a bit more than 40 people. Okay. So it's nice to see that you, you went in right off the bat knowing that we're going to need a lot of people to help. Was it hard finding those people when you had your idea? You and your co-founder said, we want to do this. Where did you turn to next? At the very beginning, when you're creating the, the, the startup with uh, such a different concept uh, than what people are used to, uh, usually you don't get much candidate, but the candidate that you get are the ones that see past those limitations. For example, we went to a design school because our device actually looked like a, an explosive bomb because of the cable and the battery. So yeah, a lot of people were afraid of it. And um, so we went to a design school and we present the product and everybody was seeing us as like some kind of robot, Robocop, uh, Robo, like very much afraid of it. And the only person who saw uh, past that uh, was uh, one of our first employees, uh, which she, she is a product, design, uh, product designer and uh, she was able to see past uh, where people see the limitation. And uh, that's the kind of person that we want. So the people that uh, have some kind of vision uh, about what the product should be. And this vision is very important when you're starting from such a chaotic, um, such a chaotic concept where you could go everywhere. So having people with vision is important and usually they find you uh, if you make enough noise. That's an excellent point because there's a lot of great ideas that end up dying on the iteration stage because there's no vision. Uh, we can all you know, think of t inventions and such that never went anywhere because there was no vision. So I think the vision, the vision has to do a lot, though, with the founders. So obviously, you had a vision. Tell us a bit about what was your vision. Like, why do this? Why do exoskeletons? For my side, it's uh, so I've always developed robots uh, for quite some time, but I've always been disappointing, disappointed because of uh, yeah, we've been promised like uh, having robots everywhere in our daily life for uh, since uh, since I was born actually. Um, it, it never happened because uh, robots like uh, they have a lot of limitation uh, because they cannot adjust, they cannot adapt very well. And uh, when I started to, to spend some time on exoskeleton, I realized that actually exoskeleton can be the perfect combination of the mechanical uh, strength uh, that provide the support and uh, the force and the human ability to adapt and overcome limitations. So combining both is, for me, it was, a, uh, it was like a vision of uh, combining both uh, as a potential to solve a lot of problems. And actually what we're seeing is it does you can help walk again. You can help people uh, do things that they were not able to do anymore. So this is, you can also, I think it's more an American vision than a European vision. You know, in Europe, we are more, uh, everything that we are developing is more to restore or to prevent. When in the US, what we are seeing is more to augment the person. It's a bit different in terms of vision. And it's very interesting to see uh, 
most products are, are different uh, in this sense. And then how did you come to meet your co-founder who had more of a medical device background? Oh, we actually studied together. Um, we saw so the co-founder was developing medical device. He, he actually was developing medical device uh, for back pain neurostimulation. And uh, we, before that, we actually developed some uh, prosthesis, some robotic prosthesis for children uh, with uh, born without hands. I, I don't exactly remember the term uh, in English, but um, it, it was a really fascinating project to see such an impact on basically you put an Arduino and uh, you spend one hour to code it and you can see that it's actually impacting the life of one person. So that's all we thought about that is there was a huge potential in the, this field of uh, human and robotic interaction. And uh, actually the third co-founder was, was speaking, she's a product designer and her mother was actually the one who was impacted by back pain. And she was the one who brought the textile and product design. So basically what I'm saying is that the three co-founders together, they had the core expertise to develop the product. Yeah, it's a real common denominator that I'm seeing with a lot of the wearable companies that I've been talking with is there's a desire to help people. That, that, that just that one thing, just helping one person can make a big difference in their life and as a result, it's very gratifying for, for you as a, as, a de, as a developer, designer, dreamer, that you can work in that direction. Because from my standpoint where I sit, when I see wearables, I look at that and go, that's going to help millions of people. Whereas from your end, when you're getting started, you think, I'd be happy just to help one person. And I think from my perspective, when I see products like yours and other products out on the wearable market now, or that are coming to the wearable market, I see millions of people being helped because from my perspective, if you can get somebody to improve their functioning, simply slipping something on or attaching something or it's part of their shirt, that's that, for us in the medical field, that's a dream come true because I've been practicing for nearly four decades and to see something that can help somebody just slipping on a shirt or attaching something around their waist and then they're good to go. It's like, wow, because we've been dealing with very archaic wearables in the medical field basically you're looking at braces that some of the earliest braces were designed in france in the 1700s <laughs> and that's still being that's still a big part of what bracing is in the medical world and to see the idea of bracing a body area change so drastically you know we're sitting back in our clinics going quick come on bring them out but we also understand too that it takes a long time. So you had mentioned, you know, working on this for four or five years and going through over a dozen type of prototypes. Were there ever any times when you just felt like saying, okay, that's it. I'm, this is not going anywhere. I'll, I'll go and just get an office job. So many times, I, I would say uh, <laughs> every month at least. But uh, yeah, there were some moments uh, that were others and uh, others, especially one of the issues with this kind of product is uh, it's very hard in for hardware company uh, to get uh, a proof of concept uh, because the proof of concept requires everything to be uh, uh, ready at the set proof of concept stage at the same time for the patient to say the to say that uh, they actually try it so it took us at least uh, i would say three years before we actually tried it the first time on one person 
And the first time that we tried, uh, the person said, oh, I feel like I'm in space. Uh, I don't feel my back anymore. So it's a very nice, uh, very nice feeling. Um, so uh, I would say you have to very much rely on your vision at the very beginning. Uh, it's very important. Otherwise, but uh, even after that, when, you know, when you trade on other people, you always see problems uh, that accumulate, that accumulate. And at some point, you, you don't even have the body to overcome them. So you're just like, for example, at one time in the company, uh, uh, when we started in the rehabilitation sector, so when we started the company, the device was originally designed as a rehabilitation device or to be used in a rehabilitation center. And so basically we're bringing the device to help patient uh, improve their rehabilitation, make it faster because without pain, you can move back uh, more quicker. That's what we see in most exoskeleton. But what we realize with the uh, rehabilitation market is, is that they have a protocol that's working well and they, they don't really need an, a replacement for that. They have a solution, so there is no real pain in it. So when we realized that, it was a bit late and we were not selling anything. But something actually great came is that whenever you get a little bit of media coverage, you get uh, a lot of people requesting your product. And we had never had any rehabilitation center request or product, but we've had like 100 companies on the first time that requested a product say, I have people suffering, yeah, in their daily jobs, uh, the manager, for example, they were asking for help for their teams. Uh, so that's, that's the time that we realized that, okay, either we stop the company or we put more effort into switching it to, uh, to what it is today. And it was worth it because now we have helped more than 600 or 700 people. And uh, it's very rewarding and the company is growing very fast. So. It's uh, always worth it, but uh, sometimes uh, it gets, uh, it's, um, it's, oh, oh, you said, it's very much tiresome, tired, tiresome. Mm -hmm. But that's where dedication and dictativeness, as we say in the United States, staying with it, being dedicated to your vision and moving forward despite whatever blocks or walls come up like the rehabilitation wall that was that a surprise for you when you thought oh the rehabilitation market should love this we should have no problem with us let's just take it in and let them try it with their patients so was that a big surprise to you when it didn't go as well as you thought it was going to yeah it was because uh, we were actually uh, uh mistaking a signal for example we had some doctors from rehabilitation saying it's a very nice product. It's going to help a lot of people. We had some uh, uh, caretaker were saying, okay, it's going to help a lot of patients. It's a very nice technology. But the main issue is actually uh, we misunderstood uh, those, uh, what they were saying. They were saying it, so the technology in itself is very nice, but there is no product that they could use behind it. What they were expecting was a validated protocol that they could use in their daily activities and we were just introducing a technology so we were like we were misunderstanding the technology for a whole product the definition of a whole product that integrates the protocol and everything and uh, that's a big mistake that we've made it was a very big surprise uh, but we've learned from it and now i guess 
hopefully we don't do so many mistakes after that. <laughs> but well, we always do but yeah. new mistakes, I guess. That's where we learn the most sometimes is from our mistakes. If we're smart, we pick up on that. I, I like your point about the protocol because, yes, in the medical world, a lot of what we do in the medical world is driven by protocols. Um, not always a good thing because being driven by a protocol means you you stifle, you you, you block down that ability to think outside the box. You know, can this really work? Okay, it doesn't fit our protocol. Well, so what? Can we look at look at it differently? Just like you went, you went to the design school, and most of those students in the design school said, I don't know if I want to deal with this, but you had that one student that was able to have a vision. And so in the medical field, I think what we need to look at is, us as practitioners, can we create a vision? for exoskeletons. Does it have to fit a protocol? Our protocol, the protocols we follow could be a hundred years old and they're still the old knee braces. Okay. So I think, and for those medical practitioners that are listening to the podcast, let's look outside the protocols we've been following for many years and see, can we open ourselves up to a vision of looking at something differently that's going to help our patient get to the the same point in rehabilitation that we want them to, but it's, it's going to be a different road. It's not going to be the protocols that we've been following, but I also understand too, why protocols are followed. I mean, you need some, you need some guidance, you know, when you're working along with patients, but I, I think to your credit, um, you basically stepped into a world that you thought might be op more open-minded, but in reality, the medical world is not that open-minded. We are very protocol driven. So I'm glad you didn't get discouraged. You kept moving forward. Um, revisit the medical the medical field again. You know, if you want to look in the rehab field again, revisit that again in a few years because I think as more of these wearables come out and practitioners start op being open-minded about it, there might be a better market for it. Myself, no problem. I'm very open-minded about that. I have my own office. So I take a look at all kinds of things that are out there because I don't have to answer to anybody. If I think it's something I want my patients to try, I have the product come in and, and I, I beta test it on my patients, whatever diagnosis. So um, I, I appreciate skill levels and in, intelligence levels and motivation levels in people like you because you're bringing the product and they're really going to make a difference. Our protocols a lot of times have gotten us good results, but can we get better results? And I think that's something that um, you, your company and other companies have... Spectrum Ergonomics and Occupational Health Services provides a broad array of design and engineering professionals for your wearable project. We feature the following design specialties. Pattern making, digital textile, athletic wear, sensor, fashion, exoskeleton, robotics, and mechatronics. We also offer beta testing of your wearable in our private clinic. You choose the demographics and sample size, send us the sample, and we take care of the rest. For more information, go to www.spectrumergonomics.com for more information.
you're a startup wearable company and you'd like to be able to get your information on this podcast, please contact me at my company website, www.spectrumergonomics.com. I'd love to be able to feature a little bit about what you're doing to let the world know about your wearable. Well, thanks for joining me at the intersection of fashion and technology. And may you wear it well.